0: This episode is brought to you by Chirp, a wireless dpn project that aims to connect the largest number of devices with the blockchain. If you like Web3 projects with real-world utility and you can't forgive yourself for missing Helium, here's a worthy competitor that gives you a second chance. Make sure to visit Chirptoken.io and sign up for their early adopter NFT and minor waitlist. Hello everyone, Daniel from Hub over here, and today we have the honor to have Mike Horton, CEO and founder of GeoNet, a company actually improving the GPS system at scale. Thanks so much for joining the, the podcast, Mike. Uh, could we start about you introducing yourself and your background?
1: Good morning, everyone. My name is Mike Horton. I'm the CEO and founder of the GeoNet Foundation and GeoNet Project. My background, I grew up in Austin, Texas, and moved to California, where I attended UC Berkeley and received a master's in electrical engineering. While receiving my master's, I worked on, started working on the field of navigation also known as positioning or localization, depending on what application you're in, but this general field of figuring out where you are, where you're looking. Accurately, I've been working on my entire career. I got started on the GeoNet project about two, a little over two and a half years ago after I had tried to work on building our network with Web2 principles and realized that Deepin was the way to get it done.
0: Fellow electrical engineer as well, right? I graduated in electrical engineering in the south of Brazil. And yeah, it's it's a really cool how to see electrical engineers actually taking the world in a lot of different angles and different ways. The GeoNet is a project that actually I've been following for quite some time. I think is one super, super interesting and the power of DP into, to scale the network and really build the solution is, is super interesting. Could you put in your own words, how would you explain actually what GeoNet is and what's trying to accomplish for like a five-year-old? Sounds
1: good. So. For the user of GeoNet, i.e. the person getting the data streams from the, the miners, the, the, the Web3 side, GeoNet improves the accuracy of your GPS by a factor of up to 200. It is used to precisely position people, and that's used across a lot of applications, both new and old. For the miner, for the person considering entering into the GeoNet project from the point of view of the crypto side, It offers a simple way to use your real estate on your roof in order to earn a cryptocurrency the god token and you simply set up a base station on the roof of your house or building with a clear sky view and you start earning the tokenomics are quite simple and the requirements are are quite simple it's just to have a clear sky view with no obstructions of the sky and a decent internet connection and you're good to go
0: yeah that's awesome wow that's like quite a Improvement on the GPS systems, right? Because maybe can you touch a bit? How does that work? I, can, I know that I have a GPS on my phone and GPS on my car, and then it tries to get information about like at least the triangulation from satellites on the sky. How does the GPS work and how can the RTK system actually make it better? Am I doing the, the name right, RTK?
1: Yes, RTK stands for real-time kinematics, and GeoNet is on the cusp of having the world's largest RTK network through the DEEPEN principles, the network has grown extremely fast. And the way RTK works is really pretty simple to understand. It's kind of a differential system. So your phone is moving around and it, while it's moving around, it's receiving satellite signals from not only GPS, which is actually the U.S. satellites, but also GLONASS, which is the Russian satellites, also Galileo, which is European satellites, and also Beto, which is Chinese satellites. these satellite signals come to the ground and as they come to the ground they're affected by a number of different errors and by having a differential system with a, a base station that's relatively close like within 20 kilometers or so of the mobile device you can cancel those common mode errors and the most nefarious of those common mode errors is the space weather which is caused by our sun which activates the ionosphere and troposphere basically create variable delays in the signals. So the base station is fixed, and the mobile device is moving. And so they simply can subtract those two signals in the process of called RTK, and all those errors will cancel therein, increasing your accuracy by up to 200 volt.
0: Wow, yeah. How, how many uh, inches or centimeters that could be? Because usually, I, I, I guess, GPS would be like in terms of meters, right? Or I don't know how to say in the U.S. yards or... Yeah,
1: so it's it's nearby a base station. You can get one centimeter accuracy when you're outdoors and have good sky condition. And that is the core of why this technology was invented. To get this one centimeter accuracy was applications like surveying, where you really need to know where something is and you want to mark that for, you know, for, for a land boundary or for architecture or construction. You can imagine if you're building a building knowing where things are to a couple meters which is the standard gps accuracy is quite useless you really need to be able to precisely indicate positions to sub-inch accuracy for building and construction and that's where the technology got its start but then as technologies evolve, evolved we find more and more applications where it'd be really nice to know where you are it can also improve very much the accuracy of, of your heading or like where you're going so you can think about cool applications like gaming and augment- augmented reality, like your Pokemon. You'd like to see the Pokemon exactly where the Pokemon is. And so these are these are things that I think are future applications of RTK. The big challenge has been the equipment and the installation of these stations prior to the end model have been really, really expensive. And so the service of RTK has been reserved for very high-end applications like construction, where cost is not so much of an issue. And hasn't been able to scale to mass markets. And GeoNet is helping both in the traditional applications, make the technology more affordable and developing worlds and so forth, and just making it more accessible to small and medium sized businesses, as well as obviously focusing on some of these forward leaning, uh, forward looking applications, such as mobility, consumer robots, and ultimately mobile application experiences.
0: On your opinion, Personally, what is the application they're more excited about that this technology can help?
1: Well, I'd get pretty excited about all the applications from the high end applications down to the very low end applications. I think in 2024, the application that we're most excited to launch is the consumer robots, the sort of Roomba for your yard. The smart mowers is one that we put a lot of focus on starting in 2023 and I think it's one that's very well suited to the GeoNet network. So I'd highlight that for 2024. But we also have stuff in in pure mobility on a roadmap. And then what we're doing in the traditional markets, which I'd call geomatics, like civil survey, architecture, engineering, as well as in agriculture, is we're helping, I think, democratize those applications to smaller companies to make it where every, for example, in construction today, typically there's only one guy that has a survey instrument out there because they're expensive. Or a few guys who can who can go and mark positions and things. It's not every guy on the crew, but by having lower cost instrumentation, lower cost network services, now everybody on the job site can have it. You know, it becomes like a, a disto. I don't know if people are familiar with the like the Bosch disto where you can do, you know, measurements in your house without using a tape measure. We're we're trying to make Mm -hmm. rtk available in that field to be something like a a bosch Disto. anybody can have one in their pocket flip it on get coordinates and go so across the board we're pretty excited i mean i've been working in this field that may seem like a very narrow and niche field but we think it's pretty important i mean accurate location is very very useful our economy is very dependent on location and i've been working on the field for my whole career so it just gets me very excited to see that we can actually do something at scale and i think that's the The key thing that Deepin brings is the ability to do this at scale, globally, across a wide variety of applications, and and a simple, easy-to-use system for for the end users of location-based products.
0: Yeah, I think touching on that, case, what is, like, I can imagine a lot of companies in the past tried to build, like, RTK networks. Like you said, of course, maybe they build their own in-house, like, let's say I want to Around the building, I want to have information about that in terms of like sub-inch uh, accuracy. I build just put my own RTK mm-hmm. hardware there. But in order to build, let's say, a global RTK network, what is the main challenges that people face it in the past or that you know? And how does the GeoNet tries to help address those challenges?
1: Yeah, so there have been several strategies in the past and there's a article coming out uh, shortly in Inside GNSS that's going to really walk through those different strategies of the past and then compare it to, to geonets. So I'm excited about that. But to touch briefly, the first original strategy was there were no RTK networks at all, and there was no notion of a network. So a person would get a base station and set it up at the place they wanted to use it. Say so they'd go out and find a clear sky location, set up a base station and tripod, Put a receiver on it, and it would have a UHF radio link, not not unlike a helium radio link, to a receiver, and then they could do RTK between the two. So the person could move around the location and get accurate coordinates. The thing is, you got to set that base station up long before the job starts, and if it moves for any reason, all your measurements are off. There's issues with the base stations getting stolen. It's not super convenient, and a lot of places you go to a job site, and it just isn't a great place to. Located base stations, but occasionally you'll go somewhere like there's still a lot of folks in farming and in construction that do it that way and in drone survey that do it that way because networks haven't been available at cost effective places and and so forth. So another strategy that's been done is to set up a regional network and this is common in in Europe and in, in the US that there are state level networks, they may or may not cover the whole state, but part of the state. And then the state will maintain those and typically charge a fee to use them. There are some states that do have free access to an RTK network, but those networks typically, you know, don't provide, you know, continental coverage or anything like that. And the other challenge is they haven't been kept up to date. Most of those networks don't have all the latest satellite signals. And there isn't a good way for a company making a product, say I'm making a mower to kind of commission the mower so that it can connect to those networks because they all have different login processes, some charge fees, some want you to prove that you're actually a surveyor. They're really intended primarily for professional survey because cities and states have a lot of people and like the Department of Transportation and so forth that, that need to do RTK on a daily basis. So that's the regional network strategy. But then came along some of the bigger web, two companies in the space starting to build networks. And a lot of them took the regional network idea and just sort of professionalized it. And because the equipment's very expensive and leases are very expensive, those networks again don't have complete coverage, but you know, you can use them and they can be reliable, but they tend to be quite expensive. So a typical RTK subscription and a web two network is, you know, over over a thousand dollars in many places And like UK, I think it's close to three thousand. I've seen some of the networks in agriculture for the high end providers up to four thousand. So it's quite expensive. And that's per year, per device. So if I have 10 guys, I'm paying that times 10, plus the equipment's been expensive. And that's been kind of the state of RTK going forward. As you look to some of the new applications, people said, well, that doesn't work. We need global coverage. We need, we need stuff. So people have tried a variety of strategies to reduce the base station density with techniques like PPP and PPP RTK. And that tries to say put stations at a at a low density across a region and do fancier algorithms on the receiver in order to get to accurate position. And it turns out that strategy has problems, and that it puts a lot of a lot of stress on the mobile device to figure out how to do these more complex algorithms. And it's not as reliable against uh, errors like space weather. So if the solar activity in the afternoon in the summer is higher, which it frequently is, that it just doesn't work. And then that renders the person unable to do their work for that day. So none of these have been a perfect solution. The perfect solution is to go back to the original, which is okay, get a base station, put it near where you're going to use it, and then you can reliably do the job. And what Deepin allows and what's so amazing about this community is the idea that we can do that at scale. Because of the deep end model, we can set up a network, you know, kind of one time, of course, the network will continue to grow and refresh itself, but sort of build out this infrastructure through the deep end model so that everybody can enjoy a base station near them. And then then all the issues of all the other strategies go away. You can commission a device globally to have high accuracy and you don't have to worry about the the performance so much and the complexity so much that it just, it just works. And again, that's kind of the, the highlight of the deep And that's why we you know, say building the world's largest RTK network to get it clear that we wanna really do this at scale or simply improving GPS accuracy at scale because that's the experience that we want people to have. We don't want them to think about it or get confused about the technology. We want them just to turn on their device and enjoy really, really good accuracy and really good speed. Another thing I haven't highlighted about RTK is it will get you your location much faster. Maybe folks remember the days of the old Garmins that weren't network connected, that didn't have any kind of network corrections at all coming in. You would have to wait like five, seven minutes for the device to figure out where it is. Now, steps have already been taken. People don't realize there's already network-based infrastructure in place, like some of our customers provide, who buy GeoNet data, provide services to the phone companies to help speed that up. And that's called like assisted GPS and things like that, that, the first baby steps towards a global RTK network are already there. And, and so if you didn't have this assistance from a network, it takes forever for GPS to even find where you are roughly. And what we can do through a global deep end-based RTK network is find exactly where you are instantly. And that's pretty exciting.
0: This episode is brought to you by Chirp, a wireless network that aims to connect the largest number of devices with the blockchain. Writing device data on chain opens up many possibilities and new real-world use cases. And Chirp does just that through its community-owned wireless network. Chirp has been actively building during the bear market, and it's expected to go live this year, so your timing is perfect. Chirp network is already deployed in 27 countries by its early supporters, and it's backed by Mystein, the team behind the Sweet blockchain. To become an early supporter, be sure to visit chirptoken.io and click on become a keeper. I like to think how the deep in like narrative is, is perfect for what you guys are trying to build. I think maybe even the only way that this can happen, right? Because it's like too expensive and too complex if you're not doing with the power after people actually climbing their roofs and installing the devices. And one thing that I really like about the GeoNet hardware is that it's a set and forget, right? You just buy the hardware, you set it up once, you plug it to the internet and then you forget about it and in, For the next years, you are providing really important value for a lot of companies actually trying to build. But maybe you can touch a bit about if I set up hardware in my own house or, you know, everybody out there, the listeners, what's the benefits for them to deploy the hardware in their rooftops?
1: Well, I think that the first and foremost benefit for the Web3 side is obviously participating in the GeoNet project and participating in the growth of that. The tokens have utility to help expand the network. The tokens have utility, obviously from a rewards point of view. And then, you know, in the future, we, we, some folks may want to be beta testers of mowers and things like that, or buy a mower to, to use it and, and so forth and services. And of course, if you have a station at your home, the, you know, you're going to get the best performance for those devices of anyone. Cause you're going to be so close to the base station. So I think there are, those are some of the things that we're looking at. We do have some longer term thoughts on activities around geohazards and structural monitoring. So this is there's a, just a ton of applications for GNS and we don't have bandwidth to pursue them all. But for example, here in California, obviously it's an earthquake zone and there's you know even my house is kind of moving around and we looked at you know reinforcing the, the foundation It's quite expensive and we're not sure is it worth it or not. So a couple of RTK stations, like on my, on our roof can tell us exactly what's happening because over time, you know, you can, you can observe millimeter level shifts and you can see, you know, is there seasonal shifting or is there something unusual going on? And this is a field of, you know, a real application. You know, one of the reasons governments set up RTK stations also is to understand actually where things are, you know, things are not stationary. The plates of the earth are moving. And GNSS is the fundamental technology that is used to observe the shifting of the plates. And you think you know where something is on an absolute basis, like where is this on an absolute basis, but actually where that thing is, is actually changing. And so when you look at how survey coordinates are set up, they're set up with a position and a time, and that's called a datum. And so GNSS networks are used to establish these datums, to establish coordinate frames that can connect together because actually, You know, California is a good example. We're moving up and to the left, so we're moving, you know, towards the Pacific Northwest. The whole, all actually, the entire Pacific Northwest is moving collectively about four centimeters a year. Four centimeters is not such a small distance. You don't notice it because we're all moving. You know, everybody in California is moving together. But if you're (laughs) in, you know, Arizona or Nevada, it looks like California is moving. You know, moving up and to the left. So this is the type of thing that a GNSS station can observe. And, and I think there's things that we can provide to people who run the base station over time that are also quite interesting and and, and useful to to the runners of the station. So that's, it's a very interesting field. There's other, there's other things or signal interference. You can think of the GPS base station that's put on, it's a sensor, you know, people always ask like, what's the range or how far does it transmit? It doesn't transmit anything. It's a sensor. The only data transfer that goes on is through the miner to your Wi-Fi network. But out of the thing coming on your roof, it doesn't transmit anything. It is a sensor that is using all these satellites as, you know, transmission points to make a measurement of the atmosphere. And so given a lot of the miners are receiving 38 signals, 38 satellite signals times three. So there's three frequencies. Each each satellite signal transmits on three frequencies. So that's like, you know, roughly 75 80 signals that are coming into that to that receiver guys in india and the and the apac area are getting like 50 so it's like 150 signals coming in and each of those signals has three measurements a carrier phase a code phase and a doppler measurement so you're getting tremendous amount of data points so now you're up to like 450 if you're in india you're getting 450 data points on the atmosphere every second and so it's quite a useful quite a Super precise, super reliable. The government is governments of the world are maintaining the the satellites for you. So they've built this incredible infrastructure to transmit these signals and you are getting to observe all that at your house. It's it's a really powerful system. It's a that's really super. powerful piece of infrastructure.
0: Yeah, that's super interesting. So if I'm I want to use the JuteNet actually network, how does that work? I have imagine I have my phone and my phone is collecting like a latitude and longitude. Then have that information I send to your servers because my measurement is going to have an error, right? It's going to have like the, all the atmosphere errors I send to your servers and you reply yep. back with the correct location, right? Is that more uh, or less the it's way It's not works? that
1: complicated, actually. No, that's not. So it's it's more client-side driven than that. So what would happen is your phone would tell the network roughly where it is and a stream of data comes down from the network to you and in a way that's privacy protecting. So you don't have to disclose your location exactly. You say roughly, I'm in Sao Paulo, and a stream of data will come to you. Your phone will use that data in order to correct the location. So the the RTK algorithm typically like 99% of the time runs client side. Now there is, you can do it server side if you want, just the way you described. you can run the algorithm that way, but typically that's not what's done. Typically what's done is that the location enhancement is done on the On the client side so all that's coming down from the network is a customized stream of corrections relative to your location but in an approximate way so it is it is not uh, not computed on the server side typically
0: yeah that's perfect okay i'm sold where do i need to go to buy a geonet miner
1: so there are there are a number of distributors around the world that have the geonet base station hardware you can start at highfix.ai if you're in in Europe there's EU Geo and easynav and a, a new distributor that will announce shortly is coming online to serve europe as well fresh miners is there for the netherlands techno store for the turkey and middle east area so there's a, a number of folks that can help you get started and and obviously you can go to geonet.com to learn more we're in the process of upgrading the website to make all the distributor links clearer and easier to find and so forth but it's pretty easy to get started. You should also check the console map to see is the hex that you're in empty? Is there a station there? If if there is, take a look to see what the reward schedule will be. There it, Obviously, as more stations enter into a hex, the rewards go down, but check that and, and check your location. Make sure you don't have big buildings and trees around you that are going to Interfere too much with the antenna because that will also reduce rewards. But if you're if you've got a clear sky view, go for it and get a get a piece of hardware. It's a long term project. This is a network that it's not a put it up, take it down. We want to run these devices for a long, long time. And and so, you know, it is it is a little bit of upfront investment and work to set up, but expect to have that device there for a long time to come.
0: Yeah, that's amazing. By the way, I'm going to put all the links for the, the, we're going to buy the hardware on the description of the podcast. So don't worry about that. And yeah, I mean, I can see I set up my hardware at home and it's very rugged. You know, the whole setup is very rugged. Like I said, it's it's meant to last for a long, long time. And the best thing that I believe is it's the set and forget option because you're providing uh, service and utility without having to do something every day. Right. I think that's that's very interesting. I also like to ask everyone to, you know, follow the podcast and like and everything because we really need this to continue building, providing good service for you all. But, Mike, you mentioned the, the maps, right? If people can go to the the GeoNet Explorer. And one thing that I saw on the maps right now is this thing that you guys announced uh, recently called Super Hexes. Can you tell a, a bit about what they are and what's the objective and how does the rewards on the Super Hexes work?
1: Yeah. So the objective with the SuperHex is to improve coverage in areas that are not naturally getting coverage so easily through the Web3 marketplace. And the the way to do that is to let the sort of figure out how to incentivize additional incentives to get those locations covered. In the field of RTK, there's a notion of what's called geometry. And you'd like to have the stations spread out in a kind of geometrically even way. I suppose the same is probably true for DY networks as well. And so... We're using the super hex to sort of try to incentivize basically station deployment in areas that are not naturally filling. And, and doing that through first a, a staking mechanism to kind of lock in additional rewards to sort of balancing, okay, these stations are going to earn higher rewards. So we'd like to also try to, you know, encourage people to stake tokens to kind of activate those rewards to keep the overall tokenomics in balance. Because I think that's something that's super important for deep end projects to make sure that the the pace of growth can be even and steady and and not subject to so many wild held swings i mean crypto's wild so there's no no complete filter you can put on a wild market but we are trying to look at this from a long-term perspective a long-term perspective and to do that you really don't want craziness so that's the that's the that's the logic behind the staking and then the logic behind the the rewards is that you know different areas need extra incentives not every area is so so easy to to deploy and that and but at the end of the day the network is much 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 more valuable if there's even coverage and this is a work in process we need to do more but the super hexes definitely provide an opportunity if you know someone in that and you or you you know are able to set up a quick uh, craigslist or facebook ad to find someone in that region it's a way to definitely amplify your awards and at the same time provide bigger big utility to the network to get this coverage we've observed a really interesting thing i wanted to mention which is that you know france has been a tough territory for all deep end projects you can look at every explorer and you can see it doesn't have the density and And of course we have customers that definitely want to use the service in france and we've even talked to some of the web too network operators and they're like, well, France is tough for us too, actually. So it's just a tough place to get infrastructure deployed. Apparently we observed a really cool thing with the super hexes, which is that some of our Romanian community, which is definitely one of the early adopters of GeoNet and we thank the Romanian community amazing for helping us get this, this project bootstrapped and started. They have, you know, a family that's in France, and that is some of the people who are filling some of the super hexes is actually, you know, leveraging that, which I just think is so cool. I just think that is so cool that that's a way that that word is not spreading as the word is spreading through through kind of an immigration strategy, which I just think that's that's what the world should be. You know, people bring new ideas and new cultures to different countries and help grow something there. It's just I think it's a very small example, but I think it's a really cool example.
0: Wow, that's that's amazing. I've been following you, you guys for quite some time now. And I would say that GeoNet is one of the best projects when it comes to really focusing on the demand side, right? Because the supply side, when you give tokens, sometimes it's much easier to do. And that's one of the ideas actually of Deepin. But then projects really need to focus a lot on the demand side. And that's how you can actually build a sustainable, long-term crypto project or Deepin project. And you guys also went to Vegas, right, during the CES a few weeks ago or a month ago, more or less, the beginning of January, 2024. Can you tell us a bit, how was that experience? I know you guys talked, you did some partnerships like Demo Power. How did you see like the demand side and how was the whole experience of the conference?
1: Yeah. So we've been doing a really steady stream of Web2 events to promote GeoNet. We've been lucky enough to be featured in a lot of the traditional media, even including the sort of high level institutional media, like the Institute of Navigation, which is the most powerful and most respected, I shouldn't say most powerful, most respected sort of civilian news and and development organization around the research of satellite navigation systems. So a lot of the earliest thoughts on what to do are there. CES is a show that is one of a kind, and it, it definitely gives you a glimpse into all of the applications that are facing the consumer that RTK can enable. So everything from flying cars to drone delivery to uh, smart mobility applications, self-driving cars, small robots, all kinds of new augmented reality type experiences and virtual reality experiences that can potentially benefit from RTK as well. So a lot of stuff there. We had a great time with the demo team at a couple of events, their event that we co-sponsored. The happy hour was super well attended. GeoNet was lucky enough to have a couple of its core customers attend with us. And then, you know, the, the overall show, the atmosphere is just great. So we look forward to doing a big thing in CES 2025. I'm trying to rally other deep end projects. Also, I'll make a plug to that to create a deep end zone at CES because I think if we show the world what these different projects can do, I don't think much of the web 2, the world is aware of all the benefits of the deep end model and i think there's still a bit of stigma if you will around anything crypto related and we're doing our very best to eliminate that but we are just one voice so i think if we can collectively descend on ces 2025 you have the audience of all the whole world comes executives from every you know every major sector and and technology products are there and this is a place i think particularly in the iot area we can really showcase what deep end can do for you know traditional consumer electronics, so we're all in on that.
0: Yes, absolutely. I already marked 2025 CES edition on my calendar, and as with a Deepin Hub hotspot, we definitely want to be there, want to be part of that because CES is a it's a it's a breeding ground for getting people into Web three into Deepin, right? Because people are excited, they're early adopters, they love gadgets, they love technology, they want to be part of this, but a lot of times they don't just don't know, they haven't heard about that, so. In a lot of ways, we're still early. We still have a lot of work to do. And yes. yeah, let's try to build this deep narrative inside of CES. And I believe we can have like a big booth and a big exciting uh, event there next year. Yeah, let's try to make that happen. I think it's going to be awesome. What are the future for GeoNet? How can you see GeoNet coming up with the next like one, two, three to five years and so on?
1: So I think that that, that, that this year we're working on you know completing the coverage of the network there are some coverage gaps so that's a a big thing for us so we'll be briefing out community more on how the superhex is going and what we can do to make them better and and near term we're going to build out some of these applications that are a little easier to understand and see and also we'll provide good revenue to the network and then finally I think the big thing that we're kind of in the planning phase for, and we'll we'll see some announcements on, is trying to build out a mobile app ecosystem around GeoNet. And I shouldn't I should also not fail fail to not mention the governance. So we're building out a government a governance structure, the governance online presence to to help you know guide some of these decisions that are network level decisions through through an open process. So those are all the things that we've got planned. We're a small small team. The you know we're not a we're not a gigantic a gigantic blockchain team. We're a small team. And we yet. really, that, that allows us by being a small team to focus as the data yet. Well, but also, you know, in, in general, we think that that's the way blockchain projects should be really about connecting supply and demand together, not about building out a giant empire for themselves. Because yes, if you they. do that, then you have, it's, it's, it's quite tricky to, you know, get the economic utility to flow back to the token. So our goal is to be lean and mean, Connect supply and demand so that as that demand comes in most of the benefit the vast majority of the benefit in our case 80 uh, percent of the data revenues can go back to support the token because again it's really important to have this be as, as stable as possible we can't make any guarantees the world is an uncertain place there are wars there's craziness there's market shifts there's new technologies we, we have no idea but we think we have the best strategy that we can put forward to create a growth a long-term growth platform and that benefits everybody, it actually benefits long-term, the, the people who uh, take the time to set up a station, but it also benefits the Web2 side. They The Web2 side, you, you know, they don't want to see something that's a yo-yo. They want to see something that, mm. that they can count on. It's important people bet their careers on decisions around what, you know, what type of features and technologies to introduce to the marketplace. And if you if you bring something up that's a yo-yo to them, you know what? That's not going to work. That that and, and I think the, the community around Deepin has to understand that stability is super 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 important to the demand side. And of course, there are things we can do on the back end to to, to handle stations that inevitably go up and down. I mean, people move; that's reality. But what, what we don't want to do is it create an incentive system or you know a pump and dump type of thing or a meme coin type of thing. They're cool and they I, they have their place. You know, meme coins have their place in the crypto ecosystem. I'm not critical of them, but that model doesn't work for a end project. It needs to be something, uh, a structure and community that cares about providing a service that is reliable and trusted to to the Web2
0: community. Yeah, no, exactly. That's uh, well, very, very well said. Uh, every crypto, there are many ecosystem, each ecosystem has its own goals. But for GeoNet and for Deepin, it actually is building a sustainable business that companies can build on top of that and not having to be worried about their infrastructure going down or the project, you know, ceasing to exist, etc. But yeah, I think, Mike, so much. Thanks so much for your time. It's been a pleasure to talk to you here. And I'm very excited about GeoNet. I think it's on the deep end, like narrative is one of the strongest projects and you guys are building something that's going to really impact, I think, a lot, of, a lot of people and technology moving forward, AI, autonomous vehicles, and, and much, much more. It was a pleasure to have you here today. Make sure everyone to check geodnet.com and for more information, check their blog. Also, if you go to deepinhub.io, have like a lot of information about Geodnet. Buy their hardware setup one in your house and let's build this amazing, amazing network together. And yeah, let's, let's go for it. Please also make sure to follow DeepinHub and Hotspot on YouTube and on Spotify and whatever you see or you listen to your podcast. Thanks so much, Mike. Thanks so much, everyone, and see you guys on the next episode. Have a good one.